Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Sunrise on this beautiful sunny day on this summer Sunday. I think summer's trying to have one last hurrah today. I think it's supposed to be the mid-80s, so I'll be outside for sure today. We're going to start things off with a, a wonderful, well-known hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Why don't you guys stand with us as we sing. Welcome to everyone here in the service. Welcome to all of you guys online worshiping with us as well. Let's sing together. Sleeping, thy presence 
Yeah. 
Let's testify this morning. Let's sing it again. For there's nothing better than you. Or there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn grace into garden. highways you're the only one who can you turn graves into gardens you turn bones into armies you turn seas into highways you're the So I am Dan, the worship director here, but I have a couple of announcements to bring to your attention as well today before we keep going on in the service. Small groups and Three's Company are starting off in October. Um, many of you guys know what these, both these things are, but if you don't, small groups is just a, way, a great way to connect here at Sunrise to build relationships, deeper relationships with some people um, that are walking at the same walk with you in life. They meet every other week. They study um, a study. It may be a Bible study. It may be a video-driven study, uh, but they meet every other week for the semester. It kind of begins beginning of October, ends about mid-December, and then we shut them down for the holidays, and they start back up for the second semester in February. But for this first semester we're signing up right now is just October through mid-December. And then Three's Company, it's kind of like a small group, but a little more laid back. There's no study involved, and it's just... Um, because it's Three's Company, we, we partner up three family units. Could be a family, could be a couple, could be a single person. We partner you guys up and you meet three times over the course of three months. So once a month. And each um, family unit gets a turn to just pick what you want to do. Maybe go to a coffee bar. Maybe just hang out at your house. Maybe go to a park. Just Again, just a way to connect, to build some relationships here at Sunrise. So both those things, those clipboards are out in the lobby to sign up if you're interested. And again, I'll be... I'm available out of the service if you have questions about any of those things, any of those groups. I'd be happy to answer those. Next, we have women's ministry groups. Um, we have two different women's ministry groups that you can sign up for this fall, um, led by Carol Van Heitzma. Her group will be meeting on Wednesday nights every other week, and Becky Loney's group will be meeting every other Monday night. Um, those specific dates and all the information about what they're studying are on a couple little cards out, again, on that table in the lobby. You can find more, more information on those. Those will be starting up very soon. I know Carol's um, group, they're trying to nail that down pretty quick here because they're ordering some supplies. So if you're interested in that group, run over there and um, sign up for that. Next, we have an outdoor movie coming up in a couple weeks on September 24th. We did this last fall as well. Last fall, we combined it with a little campout. We're not doing the camp out this fall. We did that earlier in the summer in June. So many of you guys were at that, out there with us. It was super fun. Um, but this time we're just going to do a movie, some snacks, some popcorn, um, fun times. Hopefully we'll have a nice 
clear evening for that. So September 24, out on the lawn out there, we'll be shining a movie out up on the shed. So check that out, 7 p.m., September 24. Also, I'm almost done, I promise, just a little bit longer. Um, Sunrise Kids, there'll be an online informational meeting, expectations meeting for Sunrise Kids. So if you are a family with kids in Sunrise Kids nursery through fifth grade, Penny will be hosting a a meeting on Google Meeting um, online next Sunday after church at 1 p.m. So that'll just be information about what your kids will be learning about this year. She'll answer any questions you guys have, and she'll be just kind of giving some broad information about the fall and the year, um, what you guys are, what your kiddos will be learning in there. So check that out. There'll be a link going out for that meeting later this week and also on the Sunrise Kids Facebook page next Sunday after church. So check that out. Lastly, promise, this is lastly, um, Wine and Theology will be starting up this week. We had many, 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 many women sign up for Wine and Theology at the fall kickoff last Sunday. If you did it and you're interested, there is that clipper. You can still sign up for that. Starting tomorrow night, meeting at the Fisher's house. Um, and I think that is all the details about that. Pub Theology is not starting up this week. It will be starting up soon, but we'll shoot out information on that. Men, if you're interested in that group and you're not on the email list, um, sign up on that clipboard in the lobby. And I think I'm done. Dan, on to you. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How are you? Yeah, you are, because Michigan won. I don't know about Michigan State. Michigan State won? I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, Ohio State won as well. Uh, yeah, ooh. Uh, not quite as handily as Michigan did. We're just going to remember that one for the rest of the season. Um, we're glad that you're here. Whether this is your first time, you've been here for a long time, you're in the room, you're online, thanks for being here this morning. My name is Dan, uh, and uh, we've been talking over the last few weeks about what it means to be a church called Tove. When I talk about church, I'm not talking about Sunrise Ministries specifically or only. I include that in our conversation. But when I say the word church, I mean us as individuals, as families, as small groups, threes company, as people who say that we follow Jesus, we must also step forward and say that we want to be like God, who is Tov. Now, Tov is an old dusty word from a Hebrew Bible. When you clean it up, it actually is very helpful for us. You can see on the screen here that what it basically helps us see is that uh, to be Tov, we are looked at and called perfect or beautiful, good a masterpiece, that when a community of people are seeking to live the way that we should, then the folks around us point and say, that is complete, it's harmonious, and that's very well done. Now, you know as well as I do, it's really easy to point to communities all over the place and say those kinds of things, right? Especially in our world today. You can look at the politics of our world and say, that's beautiful. You can look at our health system and say, that is perfect. You can think through your relationships with your neighbors, with your boss, your coworkers, your in-laws, and say, that's a masterpiece, right? We can't do that a lot often, and so in the spaces and time where we have those relationships that we can point to and say, that is a masterpiece, that is beautiful, that is good, our hearts settle a bit, and we get a taste of something that is greater than the lives that we live right now. And that is what it is that we're called to do and to be for the people around us. 
And so that's what we've been talking about. So uh, just to catch you up to speed, the first week we talked about this, which was a couple weeks ago, uh, we talked about how God is Tov. We anchored ourselves deeply into this idea and surfaced two things that are helpful for us if we want to be a people who are Tov, who are good. Number one, to be an individual, a family, a community of people who offer compassion and who offer justice. Now, a quick clarifier on that. We often think of justice as uh, giving the amount of punishment to someone that they deserve. And I want to flip that on its head a little bit, as we saw in the text that we looked at that Sunday, for us to see that justice means to bring access to the people around us that we have ourselves, to help lift people up from the mire of difficulty, and to help bring them to a space where they can justly and fully and freely pursue a life like this that we are describing. Second week, we talked about how God's design is tov. The way that God set up the world according to Scripture is a good way to do it. And so the two things that we pulled from that origin story in Genesis was for us to be a people of truth and to be a people of goodness. When Moses wrote the story of Genesis, he creates this picture of a man and a woman who are together, and there's no shame between them. Now, that's not limited to relationships between men and women, but it's designed to give us a very brief thumbnail sketch of what it looks like for us to be in right relationship with whomever, where we can be appropriately revealed to each other, where we can show our faults, we can talk about our strengths, and there's not a sense of shame there. And in those spaces, we find ourselves to be in a truthful and good place that could also be called Tov. This morning... We're going to shift a little bit and talk about how Tov, being helpful, being perfect, being good, being a masterpiece, requires us to be active. Now, that seems pretty obvious, right? I mean, <laughs> if you want to be a good soccer player, if you want to be a good cook, if you want to be really good at the games that you play online, you can't just read about baking. You can't just read about how to play the game. You have to actively engage it and do your best. That is what I want to talk about today. And the two things that I want to surface in that are that we would value and serve other people. If we can do those things, we will become an active participant in creating spaces and relationships that people point to and say, that is a masterpiece. Before we jump into this, uh, let me pause and pray. God, we're all in different spaces of life, facing different challenges, experiencing uh, many different kinds of difficult things. And in the midst of all of that, uh, we want to find, we want to be part of, we want to create a space that is beautiful, that relaxes our shoulders, that allows us to be safe, to be who we are, and to extend that to other people. And so my prayer, my ask is that this morning we would be a people who take a risk uh, to become active uh, as imperfectly as we can so that we can be exactly that, a space that is good and beautiful and helpful for other people. Amen. Now, usually at this point in our conversation, I switch to a place in Scripture. We're going to get there, I promise but I'm going to do that at the end of our conversation. Because the way I look at it, if we are supposed to be active in the things that Scripture tells us we should be doing, 
then let's have a conversation that starts with us being active. Talk about very concrete things and then land on a piece of scripture that I think is helpful for us. So, uh, I want to talk to you about a, a couple of different horizontal lines here. Uh, it's up on the screen. We all live lives where there are certain expectations, right? Expectations with your spouse, with your friends, at school, at work. Those expectations become pretty clear, right? You can figure out what a specific example might be for you, but I'm going to throw out here one that I think is generic enough for all of us to relate to in some way, and you can see it up there on the screen. The expectation is that you show up for a gathering on time, right? It's a family reunion, show up on time. (laughs) If there's a meeting at 9 o'clock with your coworkers, the expectation is that you're there at 9 o'clock, right? If you're going on a date with someone... It's probably not the best thing (laughs) for you to show up 20 minutes late. There are different things in life where we understand that there are expectations for this example to show up on time. This helps us get to what it is that I introduced us to, I promise you. So hang on. Of course, in in the ideal world that we can live in, the actions that we pursue, the things that we do, the way that we live, match the expectations that have been placed on us, right? So in the ideal world, when you get an email that comes through or a calendar invitation that says there's this meeting or there's this person who wants to meet you for coffee or for a play date, the expectation is that you would reply and say, yeah, I'll be there and to show up on time. You guys following me? Okay, one of you is. That's great. (laughs) And if all of that goes well, the world is harmonious, right? Your kids, they got ready the way that they were supposed to. Yeah, there was fighting and there was arguing and you almost pushed one out the door on the way there, but you got there on time. But then there are times where we don't quite meet expectations, right? This is not hard for us to think of an example where that's been the case. Just think of churches. The expectation of churches is that we would be above board, that leaders would treat people well that there wouldn't be scandal that surfaces, and if it does, it's handled rightly, and yet the actions that we see from other people rests well below what the expectations were. Are you following me? Okay. So let's stick with our example here of showing up for a gathering on time, a meeting, whatever it is, and someone who is working with you, the person who you invited to be there with you at a certain time, doesn't show up. That's a yummy feeling, isn't it? Just delicious. And so you have to figure out what to do, right? And I want to suggest to you that in this moment right here that we're mentally imagining is where we can show up to be a people who are active in Tov. So hang with me. When there is a gap there between expectation and action... We've got to fill that gap somehow, right? You can fill it with positive things. You can fill it with negative things. Let me give you an example here. There's this gap you can see here in gray. The show up for a gathering on time. And on the left there, you can see that negative sign. I want to talk through us first about how it is we negatively and I think naturally respond to those spaces in time where there are gaps in expectations and action. You'll probably be able to walk down this road with me before I even say the words, but if we approach a situation like this negatively, someone was supposed to meet you for coffee, you had a really important conversation that you wanted to have, and they didn't show up. 
we can in those moments respond out of negativity and say, number one, we talked about this and you knew that we were going to have this conversation and that this was important to me. Number two, you confirmed that this was going to happen. You said you'd be there, but you don't care. You see right there how things swiftly shift away from just observing things to becoming interpretive. And a pointer finger points at the person who wasn't there. You don't care. And obviously then, I'm not important enough to you. You ever been in a space like that where you felt those ways? Whether it's about a meeting or something else? You don't have to say it out loud, but I want you to walk along with me. It's very important for us to know this is a negative thing. This is pretty obvious to you, right? If we, if we immediately push toward, uh, you don't care about me, I'm not important to you, then what we're doing is we're launching an accusation that is baseless and that puts ourselves first, right? This was important to me. I don't care about why you didn't show up. I'm not going to ask questions. I am going to come to this space where I was let down and let my previous experiences, let my expectations of other people, let what I want to determine how I respond to you. Some of you have been on the receiving end of this, right? <laughs> you showed up late for something, you didn't show up the way that you wanted to for a friend, you let someone down, and it hurts when those accusations come, right? And when those accusations come, I don't think that we internally respond with, boy, that reaction is a masterful reaction. That's perfect. That is exactly the way the world should be. I think we respond with, hold on a minute, <laughs> like, let's talk about this, right? Let's try to understand each other. If we don't respond well and we respond instead the way that I think we naturally want to with the accusations, then it easily causes these uh, consequences there in the bottom left-hand corner of the screen. You can feel a sense of internal frustration. You can decide that there's going to be relational distance. Next time, I'm not going to invite you out. I'm going to invite someone else out. You can carry along with you this sense of doubt. This coworker who was supposed to be there because we needed to talk about this project, this student who was supposed to be there for our group project didn't come. We're not going to give them anything really substantial to work with because there's doubt there. And in that picture of things, notice that there's no conversation with the individual who let us down. I want to submit to you that that's a problem. And I'm pointing this out because I think this reality is something that happens in our lives over and over and over and over again. But we don't know how to name it. We don't know how to walk through it. And so I want to name this and help us walk through it well. So again, like I said, the new word that popped up there on the screen is that there's no input. If we don't allow ourselves to have input from the people who are the person who's let us down, it's very easy for us to create an island where we stand that becomes an imaginary place that's not connected to reality. And in that, we can cause all kinds of harm. So now I want to look at it through the, the positive lens. The expectation was that you would show up for a meeting on time. It's okay to tell yourself, now wait a minute, we talked about this, and you said you'd be there. You knew that this was going to happen, and you confirmed it. And in that moment, the internal conversation is where we can make a choice. And I think if we make this choice instead, we become a space, a people, the people would look at and say, that's the right way to handle this. 
this is the right way for me to be seen and valued. And here's how it goes. You ask a question. Hey, so, and this happened to me. (laughs) The expectation was that I was going to be at a meeting with someone who wanted to ask some questions about Sunrise. What happened was that I was almost two hours late. Ooh, yeah. (laughs) Not a great feeling at all. I had to reach out and let them know, hey, I'm going to be late. And I love that they responded with a question. And that question helped me see that they cared about me first. The question was simple, are you okay? You see how that subtle shift right there creates inside of you internally? A shift away from, man, if I mess up, there's no way I can actually fix it to, wait a minute, we can have a conversation about this? So you didn't show up to, uh, your friend didn't show up to a coffee date on time. Hey, I noticed that you were late and that this was important to you. Are you okay? Do you need to talk about that? How can I help? It's okay to express your frustration. It's okay for the other person to express their own frustration. My frustration on that day this last week where I was supposed to meet someone and showed up two hours later was that the meeting before that went way over. And I don't look at my phone when I'm in a meeting. So I didn't know what time it was, but I knew it was late. I also knew that I needed to stay in the conversation that I was in. And to be present, I couldn't grab my phone and say, hold on a minute, i got to make this phone call. I couldn't do that. So I was able to express my frustration that I wasn't able to be there. The person who asked me, are you okay, was saying, our relationship is important. And you are more than showing up to something on time. And they sought to understand. If we can do these things, it helps us, right? It helps us to know that when someone who we expect to show up in a certain way but doesn't, it helps us if we know we can have a conversation about what the problem was. And when input is offered from someone else, rather than us deciding, I already know what happened, I can already make a judgment, We can instead build a bridge that allows there to be a relationship that works. So, here's another problem. It's really easy for us to see when other people create gaps, right? Create those spaces where expectations were here, actions were down here. It's really easy for us to point fingers at other people and say, you messed up, and then it's easier for us to take another step and instead of becoming Tove and ask questions and figure it out to point a finger and wave and become judgmental. But what about when we create gaps ourselves? You said that you would be home at a certain time. You promised your coworkers that you would show up in some kind of way to help coach them through a lunch conversation, whatever it is. But you didn't show up. The expectations that were on you were not met. So what should we do when those gaps happen? It's really easy for me to not even want to acknowledge them, to just hope, and I'm not even Catholic, but I'll do this anyway, to just hope that they won't notice, to hide what it is that I did that wasn't okay, whether it was intentional or not. It's really easy, I think, for all of us to want to do because we don't want people to see our imperfections. You know what I'm talking about? I know you do because you live in West Michigan. 
It's important for us to look good, whether you're in West Michigan or not. And so we want to hide. When we fail to meet the expectations that have been clearly understood and placed on us, it is important for us to step up to the plate and to instead of thinking about ourselves only and how I will look to someone if I admit weakness, to instead step into that gap and have a conversation that requires humility. So the input could be on, hey, you know what? I told you that I would show up in a certain way. I told you that I would be an encouraging person for you. I told you that I wouldn't talk badly about you. I told you that I would always be honest with you, and yet I failed in that. Can we talk about what expectations look like there? Can we talk about how to work through that? And if the response is one of, yeah, let's talk about that, internally your body just relaxes, right? I have a grandpa who just passed away recently. Wonderful man. I didn't know him super well, but I knew him well enough to know that whenever it is I went to go see him, he would give me and all of my cousins a big warm hug and say, I love you and I'm proud of you. There weren't very many people in my life who would say that to me. And he would say that to all of us, regardless of the gaps that we had created in our own lives or with him. And it was to that man I would look and I would say, that is masterful. And so with him and people like him, it becomes very easy when we don't meet expectations to feel confident enough to say, I messed up. Can we talk about that? So here's what I want you to do for a minute. I want you to fill in the blank here. I gave you a few examples. I talked through some of them. Most likely, you've been in your imagination carrying along this conversation with a specific example in mind of how someone has let you down or how you have let someone else down. For now, I just want to create a space for you, and need to be quiet for a minute, but for you to internally just put your finger on one of those things. Whether it's a space in your life where someone has let you down, or space in your life where you've let someone else down. And I just want to ask you a question. What are you putting first in those situations? Are you putting yourself first? Are you putting how you look first? Are you trying to figure out how you can work the situation so that it serves you well? Very candidly, we have enough of that junk happening in our world right now that no one looks at that and says, that's the way to do things, am I right? It takes a completely different kind of person who subscribes to a completely different way of living to instead of putting ourselves first, to put other people first, and to serve other people. But that's hard to do. Because that means you have to show you're a human being. It means you have to show that you're not perfect. You've got to be humble. You've got to be able to say, I don't have all of the answers. And maybe I am approaching this situation through the lens of my past where I've been hurt by other people. 
Maybe I'm engaging this situation based on my fears of how I am viewed. And that's not okay for me. That's a difficult thing for anyone to do. But it's a space that when it's opened up, and we can live inside of that and have honest conversations where we feel at home. So let's talk about church settings. <laughs> you guys don't know anybody like this at all, okay? I don't either. It's just not real. It's completely imaginary, okay? There's a person who comes into a church building. They sit in the sanctuary in a chair, and it's like as soon as they sit down, it's like a, a rock hitting the water, and there are ripples, and everybody just kind of moves away, right? Whether physically or relationally. Oh, crap. They are here. They shouldn't be here. They mowed their grass on Sunday. That's just hilarious to me. They hurt us. They don't agree with me politically. We had expectations of them and yet their actions were here. You with me? What if we were a place, in this room, online, in our workspaces, at home, around the dinner table, what if we were a people who instead of when someone drops a rock unto life and we just ripple away, we stood there and said, okay, there's a gap. Let's talk about this. And I've walked through a very specific, very practical, almost seminar-feeling kind of conversation that we don't often expect in a church setting. Like There should be lots of Bible and all of that. We'll get there right now. I think there's great precedent for this beyond just trying to figure out how it is that we can live a good life. I think there's precedent here in Scripture for all of us who follow Jesus, who say that what's in the Bible is helpful for us to live well. So I want to point you to two verses. First one is in Proverbs. Chapter 25, you find these words. If your enemy is hungry, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It doesn't mean that if you do A, then B will happen, but it's generally speaking how you would live well. Here's what's written. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he's thirsty, give him water to drink, for you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. How many of you have read this before? Okay, a few of you. How many of you know what that really means? <laughs> I would venture to say probably not most of us, and here's why. I've sat under uh, pastors, theologians, teachers who have looked at this and said basically the exact same thing that we say in a condensed version today, kill them with kindness, right? You got somebody picking on you at school, they're an enemy, what are you supposed to do? Well, you're supposed to, in a calculated way, be nice to them, which is really just another way of saying being passive-aggressively upset with them, but you're going to kill them with kindness, you're going to show them who's boss, Right? There's another interpretation that says what you're doing here is your job is to be so nice to them that when they die, and this is actually what <laughs> some people have preached. I do not subscribe to this, and this is an awful thing to say. If you've heard this, this is wrong. But there are people who will say if someone's mean to you, you should be nice to them so that when they die and go to hell, they'll experience an even more awful existence in hell. God forbid that any of us would think that. Let me paint you a mental picture of what this means. So back when this verse was written, it's very common. This is the way that things were done. In every home, you would have a fire. And on that fire, you would either cook, your, well, you would cook your food for your family, 
You would use it to keep you warm at night. But here's the problem. Not all of us have our lives arranged rightly because we don't plan well, or we just have a life that's busy enough that sometimes we can forget to take care of some of the things we need to. We do that with mowing the lawn, right? Or whatever it is. But there are situations back then where it was not that uncommon to realize when you woke up in the morning, doggone it, our coals in the fireplace are out. We have nothing to make breakfast. We have nothing to warm up the house on this cool morning. And in that moment, you've got to make a choice. What this is saying is that if the person who has realized that they don't have what they need is your enemy, your enemy, the person you imagine hurting with your words or with your fists at nighttime, the person who has ticked you off so much you don't even want to see him, if that person finds out that they don't have what they need and they knock on your door, They say, I don't have what I need. It is our job to be a people who would say, you know what? Here's bread for you. Here's water for you. And here are some hot coals from our fire that we depend on to take care of us for you to take with you. This happens even today. I mean, here's a picture right here of someone carrying hot coals on their head. What this verse is saying is that if we are a people who want to live well, remember wisdom is what's in the book of Proverbs, then when people need things, even if they are our enemy, even if they said they were going to do something and they did not, it is not our job to point fingers at them and try to be passively aggressive toward them, but it is our job to be a people who see them as people first and who will serve them. And so don't just give them (laughs) what it is that they need, the coals. Go to your pantry, pull out the bread. Go to your buckets of water that you walked a long way to get and give them some of that water. I don't know (laughs) how all of this resonates with you as you think about the specific situations in your life where someone has become an enemy to you because the expectations that were supposed to be there and the actions that happened have just been way out of the water. It's important to know that this, what I am saying this morning is not that you should just let people take advantage of you. That's not the case at all. It could be very possible that in the course of conversation when you realize that the actions are not meeting expectations, that you've got to take things in a different route. But the first move should always be to approach the individual as a person to serve them. Here's something else that Paul writes in Galatians that we should anchor into. Whether you follow Jesus or not, whether you believe in God or not, these are virtuous things that have been true throughout all of time that especially a person who says they follow Jesus should always exhibit. The fruit of the Spirit, when there are gaps, when there's doubt, when there's hurt, when things are going extremely well, this is what should mark us. We should be a people who are love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I love how Paul finishes up this thought. There are no laws against these things. It's impossible for you to mess up if you choose to become active in your life by living in these ways. It's impossible. So the gaps that you've created in your life, you know that you want people to respond to those 
seeing you as a person first. Not defining you by what you've done wrong. But instead saying, you know what, you're a person. And I know sometimes that you've done some things, you do some things that you don't want to do. Or that life can get in the way and you don't want to do something to let me down, but you did. Can we talk about that? We all want that. Why would we not do the same for other people? I want to submit to you that even if we were in those situations, aware of the times when there are gaps and we chose to live well, we'd be individuals, families, a community of people that people would look at and say, that is Tov. That was masterfully handled. That was good. The final push I want to make on this is that that is exactly what the story of Scripture tells us that Jesus did for us. That God did. The origin story of Adam and Eve is a story of God coming into chaos, a space where there was a problem, where the world was not the way that it should be. And he put things in proper order. The story in Scripture is that Jesus came and he saw our mess. He saw that we should be living in these ways, and yet our actions were here. And instead of pointing fingers at all of us and saying, I'm out, I'm done, he stepped into the mess. He saw us as people first and decided to serve us. And it is because of that that all of us, when we look at Scripture, if that's what we believe in, would say that is the way the church should be. So let's do it. God, we are, like I said before, you know this already. This is not news for you. We are a people who struggle with life, struggle with showing up well, with how to respond when other people don't show up well. God, would you open our eyes to that? It can be really overwhelming to think about trying to live well in a a world that uh, is just chaotic, both externally and internally. So would you help us to see just this little piece, this little slice of life that happens all the time? So that in the small, very specific, meaningful ways, we can be active. We can show who you've designed us to be and live well with others. In Christ's name, amen.